Sponsored by Just Eat. Woo! Tap into Ireland's leading food ordering app. Just Eat. Find your flavour. on 2FM with Transport for Ireland. Plan your journey door to door with our free TFI Journey Planner app. Now, delighted to be joined in studio in the wake of last night's primetime special by Sarah Phillips, chair of the board of the Transgender Equality Network Ireland, who was featured in the show, uh, and Roe McDermott, uh, journalist and sexuality studies scholar. Um, guys, you're very welcome. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank Sarah, you. I'm, I'm going to start with you. You featured on the show last night, I guess uh, it even pre-screening this particular program it garnered a lot of attention a lot of negative attention a lot of debate even before anyone had seen what was going to be featured on screen in its entirety having featured in it and now having watched it in its entirety I guess how do you feel it went and what are your reflections um, I think first of all Owen, I think it was a lost opportunity um, I think we understood or I believed and we believed at the time that this was to be a positive piece uh, about gender recognition legislation the upcoming discussion around changes to that act but also around uh, the numbers of young trans people now who are accessing support and services etc and we understood this to be a positive piece I think the change that occurred I suppose was last week when uh, we found out that there was some very uh, toxic viewpoints being put forward within the piece that we weren't aware of and I think there was a clear negative reaction on behalf of our community uh, to some of the voices that are not expert in this area but have very, I suppose again, negative opinions to, uh, you know, these issues. When you say voices, do you mean voice and do you mean Graeme Linehan? No, not specifically. <laughs> um, I don't want to particularly point one particular person out okay. here because I think there were more than one. Um, you know, there were a number of clear voices, you know, there was three or four voices in here that had not only got negative opinions to this issue, but also, uh, you know, put forward ideas that maybe were slightly untrue, that weren't quite uh, um, based in research. And I think that based in research that we have uh, condu- not only conducted, but also that we depend upon from around the world, but also uh, that were made in a sensationalist way. They were made in a very, uh, very specific way that kind of pointed to this being something that has just all of a sudden come out of the woodwork and we don't have any real research in this area. We don't have any real understanding of what's happening and that there's been no debate in this area previously, where in fact there has been quite an extensive debate. And I think that was the difficulty. It wasn't just one voice. I think, yes, that was very much a difficult voice. It was very much a, some of the claims that were being made by him was, was crazy, I think, in fairness. But I also think uh, he wasn't the only one. Could, could could I ask you, was there any particular points um, aired that you found particularly problematic? As you mentioned, there was some opinions put forward that, uh, you know... Well, I mean, if we start with the very first one, I suppose, and we go back to the, the initial question you asked me about about one particular voice. I mean, the, this, this clear statement, which was very sensationalist and was not answered about, you know, you don't tell young children um, to that they were born in the wrong body. Well, for starters, nobody tells them that. Uh, Nobody tells them that in the trans community. Nobody tells them that in their families. Nobody tells them that in the medical services. And nobody tells them that in any support groups. That is just clearly untrue. Um, And I think that that was not answered in any real clear way. I think it was given time to be developed 
within the piece. It wasn't challenged in any way. No, yeah. I mean, there was a statement afterwards, maybe. I think it may even be in mine. But the point was that it it was not challenged in the same level that it was made. It was given time to be developed. It was given time to actually... Uh, broaden out why that conversation or why that point was being made and I don't think it was challenged it was kind of like no that's not true was the return where in fact the word had been a much more developed answer to that question being given to them before uh, in the pre-recorded pieces that was not used Ro, I'm going to bring you in here. You wrote uh, an open email to the producers of Primetime saying you thought the way that the the show was framed was problematic. Can you expand on that? Yeah, and this is a problem that I've had uh, with Irish media increasingly over the past year. And I'm going to say I'm a feminist freelance journalist, right? I'm not rolling in money, okay? So if I have to turn down gigs, it has a palpable effect on my income and my life. But I found myself increasingly turning down a lot of gigs on radio and television because they're framed as debates. But they're debating people's humanity and they're debating people's existence and usually when they're coming to me it's it's theories of gender it's theories of sexuality it's of feminism and I am after studying this for like 10 years I've been a feminist that long I've formally studied this I've taught this and I'm being put up against men with very loud opinions who haven't researched this in any way have no experience of these issues and that's the kind of framework that is increasingly being put in on social issues it's people with experience and expertise who are put against people with very loud opinions and no expertise and I think that was a huge problem I had with giving people like Graham Lennon such a huge platform on this issue. Graham Lennon has no expertise on this, he's not a scholar, he's not an academic, he has no experience of being trans, he has no relationship, like close relationship with trans people and yet he's been given a platform, he's also been spoken to twice by UK police for harassing trans people and he's given a platform why? There's literally no reason and it's because he is controversial and he is loud, which means that people will tune in and it will get clicks. So it's debating people's humanity and people's existence for for clickbait, which is just morally wrong and also it's not contributing any me- like meritable argument to the debate because he literally doesn't have it. And that framing is really important. And I think that also came through and I think Sarah was incredible last night. But Sarah spent so much time of the footage that we saw refuting uninformed opinions and ridiculous arguments instead of getting to share her expertise and her experiences. And that's the problem. When you have people with very loud, uninformed and extreme opinions that can say whatever they want, unfounded in evidence or research, then they get to shape the entire conversation because people with expertise and people with experience have to refute these claims for their own safety to literally protect people. So the most uninformed people are literally shaping the entire debate. And that's wrong. It's simply wrong. Can I just comment on something sure, Rose said? Because, because I think one of the things is that, you know, and I've had these conversations over the last week specifically, you know, the trans community have consistently been willing to have these conversations, these difficult conversations with anybody who wishes to do it. But we will only do it if somebody is going to be respectful and being willing to actually discuss our lives, as Rose said, with us in a respectful manner. And even we may not agree, we may not eventually come to any sort of agreement, but at least you can have that respectful conversation. This was not a respectful conversation. These were opinions that were being spouted for no reason, no valid reason about our community and our lives. And, you know, that that's just not good enough. We're talking about last night's primetime special. Uh, we're here with Sarah Phillips and Ron McDermott. Sarah, I want to ask you some questions about particular aspects raised in the show. First, let's take a little musical interlude. We're back after some Maroon 5. This is Sugar. Do it! This 
is 2FM. That right there, Maroon 5, Sugar and 2FM. We're here with Sarah Phillips, who's chair of the board of the Transgender Equality Network Ireland, and Roe McDermott, a sexuality studies uh, scholar and journalist. We're talking about the primetime special last night. Um, Sarah, one of the themes explored in the programme um, was self-identification uh, versus clinical assessment by a doctor. Um, you said you on the show you're in favour of self-assessment, self-determination, uh, and there was a contribution from Dr. Paul Moran, who is a consultant psychiatrist, also on the show. He said that a considerable amount of people transitioning have mental health issues. He says he doesn't want to act as a gatekeeper, but he did say he felt the doctors have a duty of care. And I guess I, I guess I just want to get your thoughts on on that particular exchange. Oh, uh, there's so much in that. Um, first of all, I think I suppose if we look at self-identification, self, uh, um, self-ID as it's known within the gender recognition legislation. And the first thing we need to do is understanding uh, decoupling legal rights from medical needs. And I think this is what occurred back in 2015. And the debate that occurred in quite public debate at the time was about the understanding of removing the right to identify who you are and your own gender away from the need for your medical requirements. And I think that's one of the key points that eventually framed the Gender Recognition Act that is one of the most progressive in the world, yes, but it is also clearly where it's human rights based. It's based on fact. It's based on you having that, your state recognising you for who you are. I think the point with what uh, Dr. Moran was trying to say around uh, the number of people who present with mental health issues Yes, of course there are. There's plenty of trans people who do have mental health issues, but predominantly an awful lot of them tend to be also societal based. They're based on the way we are seen in society. They're based upon the way our family treat us, the way we're treated trying to get jobs. If you're constantly being told you are less than, if you're constantly being told that you're not valuable as a person, you're going to have mental health uh, problems and uh, for the best part trans people have been suffering for the, with these problems for many years I think the issue is about making sure that those support mechanisms through the medical needs assessment and through uh, psychological assessments but also counselling etc just to help you deal with the issues the day to day issues of being a trans person within society today are clearly necessary but they shouldn't have any bearing on you being recognised for who you are by the state. And there was uh, another another aspect, um, the private members bill, which is discussed on the show last night. Now, this isn't imminent legislation. It's just something that's being touted and it could be a long way uh, to coming to fruition if it does at all. But it was this idea that people as young as 16 could self-determine uh, their gender. Um, now, there was two... There was two um, different views on this particular bill and one was from Stella O'Malley who's a psychotherapist and she spoke about her experience of when she was younger identifying as a boy um, and she committed to that wholeheartedly and then she said as she grew up she grew away from that and she now lives happily as a woman contrasted with Sam who uh, who transitioned from uh, a girl to a boy and said that um, he wished that he had had access earlier to information, medicine, hormones, all of the things. So I guess, again, just your thoughts on on, on that particular exchange. Um, again, for, first of all, in relation to what you said about um, the private members bill, it's actually uh, a gender recognition review uh, recommendations which were 
taken by the Minister for Social Protection who is responsible for the gender recognition legislation and because there was a section within the Act in 2015 where the Minister had to review the Act to see, look at the workings of it and see if there was improvements or otherwise needed to be done. That uh, committee brought forward recommendations in July which recommended that uh, children under 18 could access uh, gender recognition by self-identification with the consent of their parents. I think, again, there was a misnomer within the the, uh, programme last night where they mentioned that it was without the consent of their parent. The only time that, and this is the recommendation, the only time that this issue comes without the consent of the parents were where one parent is absent, maybe they are separated, uh, or there is only one parent, or maybe there are no parents, somebody is a child is in care, and therefore the, the recommendation was that there would be a legal uh, process through the courts where maybe the child could find an access through that way, but it would be much more onerous than the normal process that was being recommended for a child who had to parental consent. But at no point there were recommendations were being put forward that children could do it without their parents' consent. I think the point that was being made by Stella, um, you know, in around her own experience, is again not quite uh, where the situation is. Uh, Young trans children do not access hormone treatment or even blockers very early on. I think that she talks about accessing blockers in the UK at 12. That doesn't happen here at the moment because we have a very difficult uh, medical process even to access treatment for young trans people uh, So you mentioned initially you thought this was going to be a positive piece that's not exactly how you see it now what's the aftermath been like I understand you were taking phone calls late into the night and you had some some uh, unpleasant phone calls um, Yeah I mean I think first of all I think the, the overarching opinion of the piece was very negative I think the problem is is that that negative view of the programme has had a huge effect on the community right now there are young children and families out there who and and very vulnerable trans people who are afraid to go outside the door now because they're unsure of the way people will see them because now this is a completely different process than they would have had before so it it, it has been a difficult evening and i think we it'll be a difficult next couple of days for the community to try and you know regroup and rebuild and try and support very vulnerable and marginalized people Okay. Um, listen, uh, thank you so much for coming in. Um, Sarah Phillips, Chair of the Board of Tenny and Roe McDermott, journalist. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This is 2FM.